This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Recently, my partner, John Ramstead, was interviewed by my former boss, Dr. James Dobson, to give an update about what's been going on with him for the Family Talk broadcast. After these episodes aired, both John and I saw a big spike in our downloads and social media numbers. These shows were such a success that both John and I figured we needed to air them. So we got permission and here's part one of that two-part broadcast. Well, hello everyone and welcome to Family Talk. I'm your host, James Dobson, and many of you may remember a story that I've shared with you about an accident that I had in September of 2011. It was actually on September 10th and remember it well. I fell off a horse and I broke my clavicle and my scapula and I was in the hospital and in rehab for 17 days. I've completely recovered uh, from that uh, fall now, uh, but I tell you that uh, I'm thankful to be alive. I have no residual effects uh, from that fall, but uh, there was a time when Shirley was leaning over me that we both thought that I was going to die, uh, but the Lord was gracious to me. Um, the day before I fell on that September 10th, there was another accident. It's a freaky thing. It was at the same ranch where I was. And if you heard the other uh, broadcast, because we've kept up with this story of a very, very good friend of mine, then you already know of John Ramstead's horrific fall, again, at the same ranch. But uh, his was far worse than mine. And he's joined us in the studio today to tell us the rest of the story and catch up with what's happened recently. It's been uh, five years since the accident, and uh, four years ago he was here to tell us what had taken place. And uh, I'll give you just a bit of a clue as to where we're going because John is a walking miracle and what he went through was absolutely unbelievable. And he's going to give us a quick recap about that in a minute. But uh, if you really want to know uh, what the Lord has done for him and what he's brought him through, you need to download the broadcast from the website to get all the details. And it's well worth listening to. Before we get started, let me introduce uh, John Ramstead to you. He's the founder and CEO of Beyond Influence. That's an LLC where he works with leaders to create the life God meant for them to live. John is also a certified Christian leadership coach and founder of the Eternal Leadership Podcast with the mission to equip and inspire leaders to work in God's kingdom. And that podcast is now heard in 160 countries. All this has happened since John's uh, accident. Uh, he is a remarkable man. He was in the Navy. Um, he actually flew a Navy F-14 uh, in combat situations, uh, in armed attacks, in desert storm. So that's another history. The amazing thing 
is he came through combat like that in that stressful and dangerous situation and came home without a scratch, came home and fell off a horse. Now explain that one. And what is also remarkable is what I've already just said. On September 9th, um, the day before I fell off a horse, John was riding a horse and had an absolutely horrendous uh, fall into a metal fence. Uh, John, first of all, thank you for being here. You're looking great. God has done a miracle. I said it. It's really true, isn't it? It is. And thank you for having me, doctor. I really appreciate you and you and Shirley and just being mm-hmm. this whole journey has been a very long, challenging journey. And you and Shirley have been there through this whole thing. And your friendship has just been invaluable to us. So well, I thank you. It's been a challenge not only for you, but for Donna, your yeah, my wife. wife Donna She's a and my physical three boys. therapist. Yep. And you have three boys. Yes, sir. And your great concern through all that you were going through was for your family. Yeah. Uh, because when something like this happens, it affects everybody, the entire family. Sure but does. they've landed on their feet, and so have you. Yeah, they're all doing great today. Well, let's go back to that day on the 9th of September, 2011. Uh, you and I were riding horses together. I was right behind you. And you were taking a lap around the corral, and your horse spooked. Explain what happened. Yeah, I was on the horse, and it started walking, and then it was just kind of a trot. And then all of a sudden, my horse just pivoted to the right and just bolted and took off. And I remember being almost like flat on my back where his it felt like his, you know, his rump was hitting me in the shoulder blades. And every step, he's, you know, he's accelerating. He's going faster and uh, I'm just trying to get my weight back up on the saddle, so I didn't. I was scared I was going to flip off the back of this horse and get kicked in the head. So I'm squeezing him as hard as I can. I didn't know this at the time, but I, I guess I was telling the horse to go faster. Uh, well, he did. I didn't he read did the instruction go. manual. So <laughs> I was right behind you, John. Yeah. And the amazing thing is, you and I had just had a conversation saying that we were not unfamiliar with horses. I grew up in Texas. I don't know where you grew up, but... I grew up uh, in Minnesota, and we'd done yeah. a number of, you know, like trail rides and, yeah. you know, things like that. And I, I was I comfortable on a lot horse. as a kid, and yet moments later you had your accident and I had mine the next day. Yeah. So it was really a freaky kind of deal. But the horse is now running. He's completely out of control. I'm behind you. I see it. I knew you were in trouble, and you were doing everything you could to to stop that horse. You were really giving him whatever's necessary on the reins, and he went straight into a fence. I will never forget it. Tell everyone what happened. Well, we're going faster, and we're going faster and faster. And, and my first thought was, i got to turn the horse, because you remember that fence line ended, and if he'd turned to the left, it was open up toward the mountain. So I figured he's he's going to turn. And I pulled as hard as I could on the rein, uh, the left rein, and he pulled his head straight back, almost pulled the rein out of my hand. And he's just still going straight at this fence, perpendicular to it, faster, and then I'll, I'm kind of starting to panic. You know, I've been, like you said, in combat and flown low levels and landed on the boat at night. I've actually never felt this out of control before. And I tried to pull his head again, and he pulled his head back straight. And then I 
realized I'm thinking this horse can't be suicidal. He's got to turn, and I got to jump off this horse. But I'm up so high, and we're going so fast. If I jump off, I'm going to break my neck. And then the next thing I knew, I'm looking at the fence, and I realized there's no escape. And it's like just everything slowed down, and I just had this moment of clarity. And I said to myself, uh, "This is not going to end well." <laughs> I remember saying that, and that's the last thing I remember, Doc, until I until I woke up on the ground with everybody around me holding me down. I will never forget that uh, experience. And uh, my horse was spooked too. He saw uh, what had happened to the to the another horse and you. And he would not go near there, and I couldn't get him close enough for me to try to help you because he wouldn't go near it. And uh, it, it was just an absolutely tragic moment of all our lives. I finally got off the horse and ran to you. By then, other people had gotten there, and uh, you had suffered not just a head injury, but a near-life-taking head injury. Uh, explain again you you hit that you hit a metal fence with your uh eyebrow didn't you actually it was the you know the fence was like that three inch rolled steel bar so the when i got thrown into the fence the horse bucked me into the fence as he kind of uh, he threw he, you off. He threw he? me off. He actually flipped over, is what I understand. I didn't see it, but I guess he flipped I saw over. It. That's what and he crashed did. into the horse. You know, and when he did that, he launched me. So that top bar hit me from my teeth up through across my left eye. So it hit me across this part of my face. So I, I lost eight teeth. These have all been replaced. I shattered the entire left side of my skull. Um, the base of the skull, the base uh, below the brain was all broken. My left eye is blind permanently all the bones behind the eye socket shattered and cut the optic nerve uh, I broke vertebra in my neck in the base of my skull uh, pretty much destroyed my right shoulder the second bar down um, I'm guessing what this is what happened but it hit me across the chest kind of the same way but I broke four ribs and then one of the broken ribs punctured my left lung and that and then you know to fast forward I ended up spending seven weeks in ICU. 20 months at Craig Hospital with a traumatic brain injury, and in that intervening period of time had 25 surgeries and procedures. That's how serious what happened to me. Uh, well, we called for a helicopter, the Flight for Life helicopter, and uh, it came, it seemed like, uh, very quickly. Uh, but we were having to hold you down because you were unconscious, and yet you were trying to get up. Uh, and it, it was awful, John. I've never experienced anything. I saw Pete Maravich die in my arms, but I have not seen anything as traumatic as what occurred there. Your eye was on your cheek, and uh, obviously it's been replaced uh, with a false eye. But you look good, John, and you. it's amazing that to look at you, one would never know what you've been through. You know, they were actually able to save it. This is actually my eye, even that though I can't see. Eye. Yeah. I don't is have that, to have a prosthetic. So Is that no wonder it looks like it's real. <laughs> uh, now, they uh, they had to take your skull, a portion of your skull off, and the brain had been compressed down into your cheekbone area, and they had to lift it. Twice, didn't they? Yeah, they had to do two craniotomies, yeah. 
and uh, describe that. They took your skull off. Well, the good thing is you're not awake during all this, but um, they, they, you know, they go from ear to ear and they took off the whole front quarter of the skull and the front sinus on the left side was so damaged they just removed it. And the uh, the lining around the brain had been lacerated from broken pieces of bone, so they had to repair all that. And the base of the skull that the brain rests on was multiple fractures and like little bone fragments sticking up. They repaired all that, and then they put it all back together. And it's amazing what they can do medically. But because of all that damage, uh, the day after that first craniotomy when I was in ICU, I ended up getting uh, meningitis that was very very bad, very life threatening. Had a fever that almost 107. And then uh, 10 days after that first craniotomy, there was a lot of complications. And every time I'd move, my heart rate would crash. My blood pressure would crash. Then they, they thought this was another life, an, my poor wife going through all this. Uh, another life threatening situation. She was out there for five hours during this surgery with nobody with her. The second surgery, because, you know, the whole family, everybody was in town. We had people visiting. Everybody was around. They, they didn't foresee this second surgery, which was 10 days after the first one. Remember, I was in ICU for five weeks. So at the day that they decided they have to go back in, she was alone in my room and, and had to go into, you know, wait in an operating waiting room for um, five, six hours, just hoping that I come out alive. And, you know, the doctor also told her, I, I'm not sure, if, you know. If you go and make it. it well, not, not just that. The other hard part was, you know, he, he could survive, but he might not be the person you remember. Also, right, we're dealing with the brain and yeah. damage to the brain. So, you know, they wouldn't make any promises or set any expectations with her. And so I understand the surgeon's point of view, but that's pretty hard for, oh, you know, my. a wife to go through. And she's out of town. She yeah. doesn't know There's people. Nobody there. up there that we know, yeah. And I was in the same hospital that you were. In another part of the hospital, yeah. not nearly as uh, badly injured. Uh, how freaky is that? I mean, we're both riding horses side by side and talking about the fact that we're not unfamiliar with horses. And a day later, we're both in the same hospital from a fall from a horse. Yeah. And, uh, and I Yeah, was, I'm not allowed to ride anymore. Yeah, nor am I. <laughs> nor am I. You know, I'm on blood thinner, mm-hmm. so I could have died very easily from that and uh, just from the loss of blood because I felt um, we had six shooters and we were riding around the corrals shooting at balloons. So I was holding a six shooter, a real gun, but with with blanks, and I fell on top of the gun. And that's what broke my shoulder um, but it also saved my life because if I'd hit my head that hard on the ground, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have survived. Mm-hmm. So God's been good to you and me, hasn't he? Yeah, he sure has. Now, John, just getting out of the hospital was not the end of it for you. No. Because you have really been in stages of of recovery and repair ever since. How are you doing now? And what has that journey been like? Well, you know, today I can still work about, I only can work about 25 hours a week. Um, I can do 30 hours a week uh, on occasion if I'm, uh, depending on kind of my schedule, but I have to really manage my time. My brain injury was so severe when I first checked in uh, to Craig Hospital, uh, 
the expectation I was told later was that if I recovered 40, 50% cognitively, they would have been pretty happy with that because of the damage that I had. But at the accident, um, you know, God showed up and took away the pain that I was in, told me he was going to heal me. When I checked out of Craig Hospital and I did all the neuropsych testing and IQ and all these, you know, uh, I had recovered 100% cognitively, which was really neat. I got another chance mm-hmm. to share with my neuropsychologist my whole testimony because through this whole period of time, I've, I've been able to share my testimony with thousands, if not millions of people. Before the accident, Doc, I probably shared it with literally five or six people my whole life. You know, anything that was personal um, about my faith. Every day there is just chronic pain in my neck. There was just so much damage and scar tissue. I think I've had, I don't even know, I've lost count, seven or eight surgeries just on my neck. uh, Just to try to- As we came in here a few minutes ago, you said you're in pain today. Yeah, my neck up here in the base of my skull and I always have a headache here in the back. And then when I get tired, if I- uh, I'm not careful with managing my energy or taking naps throughout the day. I get a really bad headache across my temples. And when the this headache, and it's like two separate headaches, and sometimes they connect. That's not good. Mm-hmm. Also, the part of the brain that was damaged is the whole area of, you know, just kind of emotional control, social filters, things like that. So when I get really tired, I have to be very careful around my family because those are – when I'm in a, that mode, I I don't let myself go out in public, go out to dinner – do a speaking engagement, but just even around the, my wife and kids, I have to be careful because I'll overreact to things. I'll hear things they didn't say. And so I just, but I've learned how to manage a lot of this, um, live a life, get back professionally. And, you know, one of the benefits is, you know, this long of a recovery and being at home for, I mean, Donna was my caregiver for almost two years. You know, uh, it was a great time though to just spend some really quality time with my wife and kids as I was just trying to figure out why did God even save my life? Why am I even here? What is this, the second chance I've been given? What do I even do with it? John, I I said at the beginning of the program that I have great love and appreciation for you and that you're a remarkable man. And uh, one of the reasons is because of the way you have handled this and what you've done with it. You and I were having lunch together a while back, and you told me that if you could go back and relive that day, you wouldn't change it. How could that possibly be true? <laughs> Did I understand you correctly? You're, you know, you're you're correct. I was asked that question recently, and you know, it's you know, life is a, a series of events and processes, and I think each. And, and you can almost, you know, you wrote that book about um, when God doesn't make sense. You gave that to Don and I, which was a yeah. huge comfort. Anybody out there that is just going through a period of time that just you can you can't doesn't make sense. That's a great book to read. Yeah. But you know what? You cannot connect the dots. I don't think in the present or even looking forward. It's only until enough time has passed. I, you know, if I look at the dots between the accident and today. And the richness of life God's given me and, and some, you know, new relationships, a relationship with you, a relationship with thousands of people through our podcast, the hundreds of people I've been able to coach and equip, the companies I've been able to work in, the relationship I have with my wife and my kids. But I think even more important than that, I think two questions that I really had to answer as I went through this recovery that were life-changing for me is who really is God? When I was in God's presence at the accident, I had never seen God before 
as somebody who is a person that I can have a personal relationship with, the same way I can have a relationship with you, or especially my wife, Donna. I think he's modeled marriage after this relationship that's at a so much le- different level, right? I'm from the military. My view of God was more of this authoritarian figure, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he loves you. He's got your back. But you don't go up to the commanding general and say, sir, I'm having uh-huh. a bad day. Can I have a hug, right? <laughs> that would <Hardly. laughs> that'd be what we call a career-limiting move. <laughs> and I never understood that until I was in God's presence and he spoke to me and he took away the pain. He told me he was going to heal me. And I and immediately I realized that the this God, the God, think about this, though, the God of the universe who created everything, who's everywhere, who's omnipotent, cared about me as a person individually to come and minister to in that moment and realizing that he Isn't cares. That, that's incomprehensible. And loves everybody that way, Doc. That's the he message does. that he, it's not just me. This isn't special and unique to me, John Ramstead. He wants to have that relationship with everybody. No, and you know something else. I reflect on when I was in that moment. I felt this love because the first thought I had that went through my brain as I'm laying there just crushed, and I felt God's presence. The first thought I had was, "I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this." And something I really hmm. reflected back on was that everything else I'd ever done in my past—good, bad, sinful, otherwise—was not even relevant to how he felt about me as a person. Mm-hmm. And it was it was life-changing. So I had to answer that question, who is God? And then who am I? And I think a better way to ask that question is who did God create me to be? And those are the two questions that as I recovered, I really read scripture and thought on and prayed and listened to sermons, listened to you, listened to podcasts as I was just searching for meaning of this second chance that I'd been given. And it never, I, I've talked to some other people that have been in this situation. They've almost felt like the second chance was a burden. I never really felt it like this was some burden that something I had to live up to and perform to, but it was a gift. And I had this, this beautiful gift, and it was up to me to open it and bring it to fullness. And I was sharing with See, the, you call it a gift. A lot of people get angry. Get angry at God for doing this. Well, Did you was, ever feel any you, anger about this? I It didn't have to happen. God could have prevented it. He yeah. didn't. That's the wall that I talk about, that sooner or later, mm-hmm. everybody hits a wall. Yeah. I mean, we all do. It's part of life. And I call it not being able to make the pieces fit. And yeah. sometimes I think Christians experience that more intensely than those who are not because they expect nothing and we're kind of led to believe that uh, he is going to be like a winking, blinking grandfather who's going to protect you from everything unpleasant. And if it does uh, come about that you experience something bad, uh, you're going to understand it. It's going to mm-hmm. make sense to you. The truth of the matter is it usually doesn't. And no. you will be asking questions that he does not answer. I don't know why that's true. But it was true for Jesus on the cross, who also asked the why question. Everybody asks it, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on God's point of view, of course, we have to try to figure that out on our own. And finally, you get to the place where you just say, if God wanted me to understand this, he'd have given me a whole lot more information, because I don't understand it, and I will someday. Yeah. 
Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's Paths interviews with us. Episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.